Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, this is one of my favorite, my all-time favorite conversations that I had here with Phil Liu of Monolith. In this, and make sure you head over to GameArtInstitute.com and you go to the blog and the podcast episode, because in this, he's got a whole PowerPoint presentation where he walks you through stuff and you've got visuals and he talks about how in 2013, what his first asset looked like versus in 2017, what his asset looked like, his in-game asset, the differences between them and what you should expect out of yourself. And, and also we talked about just the process that game artists go through sometimes within the company themselves, a process of growth. And I thought this was one of the most illuminating parts of the conversation where he talks about how, you know, there was one project that he was on. It was over on, uh, at 343 and he was creating these uh, covenant energy barriers. And basically he was trying to find this kind of hard surface slash biomechanical organic kind of hybrid quality. And what amazed me the most out of this was that it took him six months, just six months to sculpt the most, you know, what, 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 we'd look, what we'd look back now and say the most simple versions of this because he had to really internalize the sculpting process and develop the methodologies and work with the team and the art directors to get the exact look of what they're going for inside the game. And I thought, how amazing is that? That there's 343 is willing to invest in this artist who's incredibly talented, right? I mean, I understand why they're investing in him. But the fact that they invest in this artist to create this whole new kind of design language for the game and that they're willing to invest six months of production time in it, that's pretty amazing because a lot of times people get out there into the industry and they think, I have to produce, I have to produce, I have to produce. And they forget that the reason why a game company hires you isn't because you're just going to make a better widget. There's a creative aspect to this job, which is why most of us love this and why most of us are kind of energized by the work we do every day, because you're going out there and creating something. You're not doing X, Y, and Z. You're not on a factory assembly line all the time. Sometimes, but not all the time. There's a creative component to it. And that creative component is so important to the company that you work for that in this case, 343, they were willing to invest six months of production time to help Phil get up to date and be able to produce these things quickly, efficiently, and, you know, as awesome as they ended up in the game. That I think is a very important lesson for us to keep in mind. So make sure that you head over to iTunes and you rate and leave a comment that helps us so much get the word out about these artists, about their journey and what they do today. So make sure you leave a comment, you rate this. Let's get into it. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you for coming and thanks for being part of this. And uh, I've got, uh, this is actually a real treat because Phil's prepared something for you guys that's going to um, walk you through a bit of his journey. So thank you, Phil, for joining me and for um, for coming in to do this. Sure, good to be here. Yeah, Alejandro had really nice words to say for about you at Artist Awake. So uh, I'm really glad oh, well. 
Alejandra's been uh, very useful, um, very kind of a powerful advocate for people in uh, the environment boot camp. So it's been pretty great. Uh, so nice. let, um, let's start with uh, where you work now. We'll start with some facts and then I'll let you walk into your presentation. But where do you work now? Uh, I am currently working as an environment artist at a studio called Monolith Productions. Mm -hmm. And one of the games that recently shipped was uh, Middle-Earth Shadow of War. Yeah. And that was an incredibly awesome project to work on. Yeah, that's great. I've seen the artwork on that. It's just, God, it's amazing. Um, in the past, uh, some of the studios I've worked at uh, includes uh, ArenaNet, where I was there working on uh, Guild Wars uh, Heart of Thorns as yeah. a weapon artist. Yeah. And before that, I was working at 343 Industries mm -hmm. as essentially more of a, I guess my official title was 3D environment artist, but I was kind of more of a 3D generalist there. Yeah. And that was kind of my first big major break in the industry. Well, let's let's jump into your presentation then, because I think that's one of the big questions that we we wanted to answer in this talk was, you know, how you from going from that break to to where you are today on this amazing game. Okay, sure. Um, so the talk I have for you guys today is called uh, "Big Things Have Small Beginnings," and this image I have on the left this was dates back to 2013. And it's like five years ago now. It's crazy how it just time flies. And it was this uh, fork and knife set that I made for a game called uh, Saints Row 4. It was their uh, DLC Christmas special. And this fork and knife shows up in just one shot. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And pretty much over the course of about four years, um, eventually I was able to kind of get on uh, my gig at Big Studio 343 Industries, and it just kind of went on from there. However, um, I do think that there is kind of a pretty interesting and long journey that I think artists takes, and you're going to end up going left and right in multiple different directions before you kind of finally realize, oh, this is kind of what I'm kind of eventually meant to do. And so I pretty much started off just like everybody else, you know, when I was uh, in college. Uh, back in 2013, I was you know, trying to get a job in the industry. I pretty much applied everywhere for a job. And essentially, I think I ended up being rejected from like, you know, five or six major AAA studios. And I failed my share of art tests. I think it was like uh, three or four different art tests that, you know, I just either bombed or never heard back from. And pretty much how I got my first gig was... Uh, Actually, through my parents, they just found like a local listing for a studio back in uh, Chicago where they live. And they're like, hey, it's video games and you should apply. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, I got rejected from all these major AAA studios. You know, might as well just apply, you know, no harm. And just to see if they even responded back to me. And I was pretty fortunate that, yeah, they did respond back. They liked my work and I was offered a contract job. So got my foot in the door. And let's see, these are some of the ass first assets that I made for the DLC. Uh, I started off just doing a bunch of small props, like you know, some fork and knife, a turkey, some large candy cane, some essentially just basic uh, like game props as well as cinematics props. Mm 
And it was definitely a really, really good way to kind of understand the production pipeline, you know, working with Perforce, working with a team that's just no longer myself, you know, in somewhere creating an environment, definitely have to think about, you know, how long something takes, you know, what is the memory, what is the production, what are dependencies, how to take feedback. And it was pretty much just a, a really, I guess, good solid overview of, hey, here is a production process now that I'm transitioning from being a student to a working professional. Uh, however, I think that a part of me always wanted to, you know, work on, you know, super, super high-end uh, AAA's assets, you know, talking about like, you know, well, these assets are, you know, pretty fun for the time. I definitely wanted to work on something that has a much, much higher um, poly count as well as texture memory budget. And on the side, I was actually taking uh, some online classes and one of them actually happens to be a class that uh, you guys taught. I think it was through, uh, it was called URC back in the day and with a guy named uh, David Lesbrons. Mm, yeah. And that was actually, uh, yeah, that was a super, super fun class. And I remember one of the uh, chapters in particular was when we had to make this Baroque mm. ornament. Yeah. And I was just super, super, you know, like excited. My mind was blown. I was like, what? You know, and keep in mind back in the day, this, you know, we're still on last gen hardware and, you know, technique or, you know, the geometry and the texture count was, you know, super, super low. And to be able to do something that's super elaborate, ornate and curvy, I was like, whoa, this is one of the coolest things ever. And it was also amazing to see it's like how quickly it can be produced. Yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun module. And this it was beautiful, yeah. man. Great job. Thanks. And yeah, so for me, I was, you know, I definitely loved the style. I was like, you know, this is super cool. You know, I want to still practice this in my free time, even though I have no idea how this is ever going to be useful for, you know, real time uh, games. And right. sure enough, a couple of years later, we'll see where that uh, takes me. And so, yeah, that's pretty much my journey from 2013, where I was just, you know, working at a small studio while taking online classes and still applying to the bigger uh, AAA uh, studios. Mm, that's great. So what's next? All right, next is 2014. Ah, all right, good. We get them by year. This is great. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've broken it down. Yeah, yep. I kind of broken down to like different studios as well as like some of the places that I worked at. And mm -hmm. if anybody has any questions, and you know, just feel free to like shout them out, and I can just you know answer the question right there. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, so 2013, you get that job. You're also taking classes to make yourself better. And um, mm -hmm. and then uh, what's the where are you working at the end of 2013? Uh, I was working at a small to mid-sized studio in Chicago called High Voltage Software. High Voltage. And, yeah. yep, and they had a contract with Volition to do a lot of the Saints Row DLC at the time. Okay. All right, great. And then uh, what happens now? We go into 2014. Yep, 2014. So yeah, I was still applying to different AAA studios. I actually heard back from a major studio that I really, really wanted to work at that essentially kind of reject me outright a couple years ago. I was like, all right, you know, maybe now is the time for me to finally make it. And, you know, got through a phone interview and I thought I did just fine on the interview and they seemed to kind of, you know, like, um, 
my work and I was like, okay, maybe this is going good. And unfortunately it was another no. And I think I pretty much didn't hear back from them for about a month until I eventually found out, oh, there was some unfortunate major layoffs that went on at the studio and project got shuttled. So the position kind of essentially disappeared overnight. And I was definitely a little bit bummed about that. But fortunately I kept in contact with a friend in college who the year before got a internship at Microsoft. And somehow he eventually found his way towards uh, 343 Industries and just kind of almost like forwarded my portfolio to the right person at the right time. And, you know, they called back and, you know, apparently they uh, really liked my work and I got hired at 343 Industries. And so that takes us to 2014. Um, this is one of the very first props that I was made, you know, when I arrived there, you know, I was super, super happy. I was like, oh man, I finally made it into a big triple industry. Now I get to, you know, really, really make awesome artwork. And so this is one of the first props that I made. And it was just a basic, you know, background prop, um, trying to learn this technique, trying to learn the art style. And also at the time trying to learn, um, PBR, which was incredibly knew at the time, you know, nobody really knew, you know, how to work with it. Mm -hmm. And crazy now that, you know, it's just industry standard. Right. And yeah, yeah that's, so that's one of the things I think is really important too, is that you always stay on top of stuff. So you were, you know, you didn't let up, like this is no, just no. a constant journey. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So before we keep going. So, um, cause one of the, uh, threads I hear a lot in this, in this conversation is that you're always learning, you're always learning. So how, um, like how comfortable were you with polygonal modeling with all of this stuff? How, what were you really learning at this stage? I'm assuming you were pretty um, much fluent in, you know, most of the polygonal modeling elements, but what yeah. are you really learning? I mean, I think that I was pretty, you know, fluent in, you know, last gen modeling, but usually, you know, man, this is, seems like ages ago, but mm -hmm. last gen, you know, the overall mentality is to kind of keep the geometry and the texture super, super low and don't yeah. worry too much about low high res fidelity because, yeah. well, you don't really have the memory or the rendering capability to do that. Yeah. And so at the time, I think when I was uh, learning some of the stuff taught by David Lesperance is to kind of really learn, okay, you know, how do you, really, really take your time and uh, polygonally model, model out something that would, essentially, I was kind of looking at it from like a film angle. It's like, well, if something works for a film, then I can probably just kind of bake it down into a, um, into like a game mesh and just kind of crank up the uh, texture resolution. And right. it was definitely, uh, especially at the time where everybody's still trying to get used to, okay, you know, how much fidelity we can have on current gen, what is the texture resolution, PBR. So it's a lot of kind of trial and errors, like, okay, here are some of the techniques for um, polygon modeling done by the film industry. And is there a way to kind of incorporate that into the uh, gaming landscape at the time? Yeah. And I think it's uh, really, is one of the most, for me, for example, environments and props, like this is one of the more dynamic areas uh, in this industry, especially environments with substance designer, you know, character ZBrush is still kind of standard and there's, Marvelous designer changed things quite a bit, but in terms of environment, there's been massive changes. So staying on top of these is really important. What changes do you think are happening right now that people really need to make sure they're, they're ahead of the curve on? 
Um, I think uh, it's one of the points that you've touched on substance designer. I think if, mm-hmm. you know, last gen, it was kind of usually just, you know, photo bashing yeah. and then just slapping some text and put an overlay in there, just throwing the engine and call it. And then I think for a while, we briefly kind of went the way of sculpting, you know, where a rock or a tree bark or some organic stuff would be sculpted in ZBrush. Right. And one of the trends I'm definitely seeing now is just substance designer. And it's definitely not an intuitive program, I want to say, for anybody who's starting out. Because yeah. you're like, oh, you know, here is one step that I or a slash I can make in ZBrush, but it takes me like 20 different steps using different nodes that I am not at all quite sure what they're doing. And but it, I think that you know, coming back to um, the knowledge, just you know, learning anything new, whether it's recurvy or an H stuff or some of the stuff that I was doing at Facebook through industries. Usually, I mean, just with anything in the art in life, you're not going to really understand it until you just practice, 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 practice. And one day, essentially, it'll just click. And so, yeah, I definitely think that uh, for environment, uh, uh, substance is definitely huge. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I think not a whole lot of people talk about is making quality LODs or levels of details. Because you know, as with the rise of, uh, especially looking at the gaming landscape right now, so many open world games. And for me, you know, coming from Halo and just weapons, I'm usually thinking, oh, you know, LOD zero, just make everything really, really good. And, you know, just show up good in the game. But unfortunately, you know, if you're dealing with a massive landscape with mountain trees and grass, you know, whatever asset you make, even if it's like a super cool looking castle, it's going to be seen at multiple distances. And it's like when, it switches to a lower uh, geometry and texture uh, for performance reasons when you're getting away from that. You know, you have to still make sure that it still look as good as possible compared to um, LOD zero. And usually from what I see, you know, just the decimation master, and there's a lot of programs that can automate uh, organic stuff really well. But for anything that's hard surfacey, especially like a sci-fi corridor, you're pretty much, unfortunately, still going there and just manually either reducing bevels or recreating the asset from scratch to make sure this still, you know, looks really good from uh, far away. Mm, that's a great point. So, do you think that helps somebody having that in their portfolio if they actually have the LODs? Um, I think it definitely helps, although. LOD is one of those things that's still, I think, pretty tricky because mm-hmm. usually what happens is that people will, you know, starting off, let's just say if you're a junior artist in this street, they're not going to expect you to be amazing at making LODs. Okay. But if you have an understanding of, hey, this asset, as I'm going further, further away from it, as it's, you know, reducing in uh, geometry and texture, but still it should kind of still look like the same, something incredibly useful to learn. Okay, got it. All right, so you're at, at 343 Industries. Uh, I have a couple of instructors that are over there at 343. And, uh, so oh, really? Yeah, uh, Alex Senenshaw was at the... Was oh, one? really? Yeah. So Alex and I started on the same day. No way. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's great. And then Corey Hubble, who's a, he's a concept artist. He's done some concept work. Yep, yep. That's great. And uh, LOD is level of detail. Thanks, Daniel, for clarifying. Yes. Okay. All right. So what's – yeah, sorry. Go for it. Oh, I'm just saying that it's something usually that, you know, people will learn that as – I mean, there will be also on-site training for stuff like that. But I think just finding ways to make good LOD is something 
I think it definitely will really, really help you if you want to be an environment artist. Yeah, it's interesting you point that out because, you know, I think it's easy for us to forget that, you know, these the game companies, they, they know, you know, that in order for them to have, you know, high quality artists, a lot of the education is in the company's hands. You know, schools don't really mm-hmm. prepare for all of the crazy that's out there. And then on top of that, games have very specific things that they do. So they educate you in the process there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, there's also a lot of just, you know, finding cool techniques on the internet and also just learning that as well. Yeah, all right. So you're at 343, and uh, so how's it go from here? What happens next? Uh, this is where I'm sure that, you know, if I don't know how much Alex talked about it, but, you know, he definitely had some trying time there. Just, you know, it was also, I believe, his job in the industry. And, you know, I was also fairly junior. So I definitely struggled a lot to make some of the more uh, high-end uh uh, pieces there. I think one of the things I struggled with for month and month and month was the uh, covenant style, which mm-hmm. is one of the props that you see here, where everything is super curvy. And you know, at the time, I was like, okay, yeah, I more or less, I don't have any idea how to make this. And fortunately, you know, I there were some really nice uh, senior concept artists as well as uh, senior environment artists who was able to give me feedbacks, you know, like whenever I would make something, they'd be like, okay, look, these are the reasons why, you know, X, Y, Z is not working. And you have to think about flow, think about organics, and here are some potential techniques to be able to execute this uh, super, super curvy kind of in the round kind of style. Right. And yeah, it was very, very trying time. I, I remember, you know, going you know working and then going back home and then really trying to you know trying and failing to kind of figure out how how do i how do i you know make this you know super round shape and i think it was like something like for about five months where i just you know i at a certain point i was like i'm starting to question like did i did i really uh should i really be working here maybe i should quit but, you know, I, I persevered and just kept on practicing, 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 and really listening to some of the feedbacks that the uh, senior artists were saying. And eventually one day it was just like that and boom, it's like, oh, everything clicked now. After trying for so long of not getting this style, I just kind of almost in a way intuitive, intuitively understood it. Wow. That's great. And mm-hmm. that they're patient with all of that. Yeah, which, Talk to me about that process. Cause that must've scared yeah, you a bit. It definitely. Cause I think that there's the expectation, you know, with being a triple A studio that, you know, you are definitely expected to produce quality work. Mm-hmm. But I think that my biggest advantage is that not a whole lot of people three knew how to execute this style. And so it was, you know, also a new game. So there was definitely time to kind of experiment. And, you know, for me, especially as a junior artist, mm. the expectation is, okay, you know, you're not going to produce senior level work straight off the bat. Right. Right. That makes sense. So yeah. everybody was struggling with this, this mix of organic and hard surface. Yes. And I think that especially we're looking at the covenant stuff, there's also not a whole lot of artists that does this, even at 343, you know, everybody's, more YouTube and more the traditional kind of the hard edge, you know, sci-fi model, whether it's inspired by, you know, graphic shapes or by like industrial machines. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right, cool. And so, you know, after I persevered, 
it made uh, before leaving three for three industries. And it's just like, okay, here's to show that, okay, everything clicked and I can mm. finally execute this style in a fairly, you know, sh amount, short amount of time that's, you know, production ready and still getting in the game. Yeah. And yeah, those was uh, definitely a uh, last work on it. Definitely shows that, okay. Okay. I think it's. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're back there. All right. Great. Okay. All right. Thanks for, for pushing through there. Thanks, guys, for being patient, too. Yeah, yeah okay. sorry about that. Not a worry. So we were kind of excited about this, like, year-by-year -year approach. Um, so let's – your 3-4-3 industry, let's get ourselves back on track. And your 3-4, you had some problems figuring out the design, but they were invested in you, and everybody kind of worked together to figure this out. Um, mm -hmm. And then what's the next step for you? Uh, I think that so – some of the steps is just kind of learning how to create assets without concept art. Oh, um, okay. I think that a lot of people think that, oh, you know, if you're working in industry, every single asset, even if it's like sci-fi or fantasy, it's going to be super, super flushed out and detailed. And <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, uh, it'll be true for probably 50% of the time. But for the other half of the time, you know, as an artist, you're going to just have to problem solve it through. And this asset here is... Um, uh, cinematics model for the cockpit and essentially I had to figure out the entire interior uh, without any concept art and I mean I had I definitely had a uh, enough of a uh, 3d assets that's already made in that style as well as a style guide and multiple um, artists to get feedback from and so it was a really really challenging but really cool learning experience as well that's great uh, so are you saying like a percentage of this just wasn't fully fleshed out? Yeah, actually, I, I was uh, essentially there was no concept. I was like, OK, here's a, essentially more of, more or less a block out mm -hmm. for this interior. And now you have to essentially figure out how to get it to production ready for the entire um, process. Hmm. So how do you even begin to approach that? Uh, I mean, I was pretty fortunate that, you know, I had some design sensibilities. Yeah. But usually, you know, there is enough of a style guide. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, here is you know the distribution of detail. Here are some references you can look at. And mm -hmm. there's also more than enough um, texture that's already made. And so for a lot of these assets that I made, essentially I just took a bunch of tiling textures and, you know, I would model all the basic shape and then just essentially play, you know, some crazy moving around to get it to look like it's much higher resolution than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was a super, super uh, fun challenging and it's certainly not easy, but I think that by having that level of design sensibility, it will really, really make you go the long distance as an artist. Yeah. And uh, Daniel's asking at this point, would you be a senior environment artist? Uh, I think I'm getting there. I mean, for me, I'm about, I have like close to like four and a half years of experience. So I would say like, yeah, getting close, but you know, probably, I probably would say getting about like maybe a year or two before I fully consider myself a senior environment artist. Mm. So yeah, probably like have somewhere between mid tier and senior. Awesome. All right, great. So what's next? All right. 2015. Okay. So 2013 getting the job and uh, working on um, plateware. And then in 2014, you get your job, 343. 
And so my contract at the time, it was for a one-year contract at Microsoft and mm -hmm. it was expiring. Yeah. So I was, you know, looking around the uh, different uh, Seattle area just for jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely a choice between kind of money and passion. Yeah. And, you know, well, you know, I was looking around for jobs. There was two, I got two offers. Essentially, option A, it was for a company that was a full-time position. And they're like, hey, we'll take, essentially, more, we're more than willing to double your salary and give you a bunch of perks and benefits. Hmm. But the project was not something that I was particularly passionate about. And, of course, you know, at the time, you know, I was a junior artist, so my pay was, that's like, I'm not making, like, crazy amounts of money or anything. But it was definitely, you know, it was enough to make a, you know, I would say it was definitely above um, what a uh, junior artist would make in this industry. Mm-hmm. And option B, it was for a contract position and it was a modest raise. And it was a company that I really, really wanted to work at uh, ever since I was in high school. And I'll say this before uh, making my point is that this is not to say that, oh, you should just follow your passion and not get paid. And, you know, both positions I was getting a raise. So it was, a, you know, the context of passion versus money was the fact that, well, I'm getting a pay raise regardless which job I choose, which one should I choose? And this was honestly an incredibly difficult uh, decision I had to make. I remember, you know, agonizing it over for like a day or so, just really thinking, oh, I don't know, should I go with A or B? And ultimately I ended up choosing option B. Hmm. And that place was ArenaNet. Hmm, awesome. Mm -hmm. And one of they were, you know, yeah, I think that in retrospect, maybe I could have taken option A, but there were so many things that I've learned and gained at ArenaNet in a way that I could totally could not have foreseen. And one of the things, you know, coming off of 343 Industries, like, hey, I spent a lot of time really learning this super, super, you know, curvy um, uh, technique and maybe... I should just keep going with it. I'm not really sure if there's another place that will allow me to do that, but Arena seems like a pretty cool place. And surprisingly, yeah, like um, they were really into Art Nouveau, which had more or less in the same essence as in terms of just uh, art style and execution. Yeah. And that's what I was doing for three, three, except it was more in a fantasy setting. Yeah. And hey, I can, the skill directly transferred over, even though I, at the time, I didn't think it was ever going to transfer over. Yeah, the David Lesperance skill. Mm hmm Yeah. Oh, wow. As well as some of the stuff I was doing for, um, uh, like, the Covenant stuff with all the super yeah. curvy stuff. In yeah. And another thing that was super, super awesome um, working at ArenaNet was that I sat right in the concept art pit. They've, at the time of ArenaNet, they decided to kind of clump all of the concept artists together in one room. And I essentially sat in the same room with them. And so, yeah, it was a super, super fun time where, you know, uh, after work, you know, when the leads have all left and we would just be showing each other our artworks, like, hey, I'm working on this, I'm working on that. Oh, have you checked out this cool art book? Have you checked out, you know, this cool inspiration I'm looking at? And just really, really, you know, fun place to talk about art. And I think that it was a time of just incredible kind of design uh, sensibility that I've learned and plus it was just super, super fun uh, just shooting the breeze with those guys. That's great. So talk to me about um, the, the process on this because 
uh, is how are you modeling this? Are you using the L'Esperance method? Are you doing it in ZBrush or how are um, you getting this detail? It's a combination. Uh, so like some of the L'Esperance stuff came in directly when I was working on this model. Mm. Um, what I would do is I would just, you know, find an interesting design, yeah. uh, put that on a essentially a plane in Maya and then just kind of almost in some ways like trace on top of that. Yeah. And I'll make two or three of these different shapes and then kind of kid bash them to kind of form uh, different patterns and essentially move and rotate and having symmetry. And I've noticed that with these kind of ornate decorative stuff, Yeah. as long as it comes off as a pattern and you have some sort of symmetry, whether it's bilateral symmetry or radial symmetry, mm. it'll just read and it kind of works. Whereas for some of these more uh, Art Nouveau style art, um, where you know, you're doing with lots and lots of planar changes with stuff that's, you know, you're looking at multiple different angles. Uh, it tends to be a lot more trickier. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would do is I would kind of use ZBrush as a way to kind of rough out the proportions, get the flow and the design figured out. Yeah. And, you know, it's super, super unrefined. There's, you know, warpy and doughy stuff everywhere, but that's okay. Because what I'll do then is I'll bring the shape into Maya mm -hmm. and essentially retopple on top of that. And the difference is unlike retoppling for, let's say, a character where it's, you know, game mesh ready, this is retoppling for a more cleaner version of a high-res mesh. And so there's kind of a three steps almost involves like one why I'm doing ZBrush trying to get the shape and proportion figured out and then I'm bringing that back into Maya to make the high poly and then I'll kind of bake that down into a game mesh and then texture that stuff so it's kind of a I suppose it's almost like you know penciling it in kind of getting the rough shape figured out in Maya mm -hmm. and then it using or uh, penciling in ZBrush and then uh, inking it in Maya and then finally you know finishing up the coloring with the textures in Photoshop Mm, I love that inking it in Maya. Yeah, I mean, for me, I have more of a traditional kind of drawing and painting background. So mm -hmm. a lot of the my personal approach in 3D, I like to have a very kind of a 2D mindset when I'm as much as possible whenever I'm approaching it. And when you're inking it, are you doing are you drawing topology over the top of it, like with a Maya Live or Live Surface uh, or something like that? Or yeah, I usually use just Maya Live with the. Uh, with the, I think it's called the quad draw tool. Mm -hmm. And then I'll use the uh, crease modifier or or the crease tool as a way to kind of keep my topology down and at the yeah. same time make sure that the flow is still uh, looking pretty nice. Yeah, and how important is topology when you're, let's say somebody else is modeling this, somebody who wants a job, um, one of our environment okay. artists. Uh, how important is edge flow and topology at, at the end of topology, the day? is incredibly important especially okay. for doing this kind of ornate stuff mm -hmm. honestly in some ways it's like making a character where it's like your topology have to be unforgivingly clean mm -hmm. where everything has to be laid out almost like super perfectly and evenly distributed yeah. which is it's one of the reasons i don't recommend trying to figure out the shape and topology mm -hmm. all in one step it's reason why kind of I use ZBrush to kind of figure out the shape and the design first yeah. and then I'll kind of overlay the technical kind of topological aspect of it. Got it. Okay, great. All right. Okay, and so that was most of my uh, 2015 and mm -hmm. I think, you know, it was, it was an awesome experience, but unfortunately, you know, being another contract, uh, I was uh, looking for, you know, soon enough, I was looking for uh, different jobs and you know, after working in the industry for about, I think, 
almost two years at this point that it was the very first time where I started being contacted by recruiters instead of just me having to kind of constantly reaching out to recruiter like just you know, over and over and over again. And it was definitely a pretty, I would say a little bit of a wow moment. It's like, oh, hey, maybe I think that I could, you know, make it uh, in this industry. And so uh, as my time at ArenaNet was wrapping up, I was getting contacted uh, by lots of companies and again, doing more art tests. And I remember some of them were incredibly involved. Like one of them was like a 120 hour our tests and I had to work on it for like 40 hours each week. It was like going to work 40 hours and then coming back home and spending more, another 40 hours each week on it. And it was for like three or four weeks and it was incredibly stressful. But, you know, of all of the, uh, I think I took like four art tests around that time. I ended up passing three of them and they became very, very high profile It would, uh, gigs. And I think that throughout the different art tests, um, it was also beyond just, oh, passing this art test, it was a point to, I guess, proving to myself, hey, I've actually became good and I can actually learn to push quality uh, under a pretty much a pretty short deadline with pretty big directions. And I think that is incredibly important for any artist going forward, because sometimes, unfortunately, in this industry, that is what is expected of you on the job. And hopefully it's not, you know, every single case is like that, but I do think that it's like, if you really want to stand out in the industry, knowing how to do that, even though it's stressful, and if you do it just briefly, it's okay. It will definitely uh, take you very far in this industry. That's a great point. And I think that some of the, uh, lessons I've learned just looking back now at 2015 is that, you know, back in 2013, when I was making uh, this little ornate Baroque piece, mm -hmm. I had no idea that this was ever going to be useful uh, in any kind of game setting, but it was a cool art style and it's something that I'm pretty passionate about. And I yeah. kind of just went down that road and sure enough, you know, like two years later, got to actually make some actual assets, um, that had incorporated that style. And so I think that it's like, if you follow down your passion and you know, just be, it's like, if this style is, is not applicable right now, or if it's like, the, it's not the industry trend, but it's still kind of a cool style. Like maybe you should just hold on to it and just kind of do that on the side. And one day it will become relevant. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. David was quite ahead of his time. I remember with that class. I think yeah, that was and something we were was, really looking for too. We were very much like it has to be, you know, ahead of its time for it to be a class that we were teaching at that point. Uh, and it's yeah, sure. great. So, all right. So you're at ArenaNet and you're doing art tests. Where do you go? Uh, I actually ended up briefly up in a studio up in uh, Canada. Mm -hmm. That I think that of all the choices that I made, it was probably the worst choice because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I just kind of took the job because it was a cool project and really didn't think too much about if it's a good character fit and whether or not, you know, what I'm doing is, is it something I really wanted to do? Yeah. And I, for about like three months, it just kind of realized, okay, yeah, this is, you know, thanks for taking a chance on me, but I don't think I'm the right person for the job. And I actually ended up returning back to Seattle to uh, work at Monolith. Oh, okay. Great. So yeah, that brings us to uh, 2016 and 2017 shadow of war. All right. 
And Shadow of War was definitely, I would say it's probably one of the, uh, another one of the highlights of my career where mm. it was a culmination of everything I've learned in the, you know, from ArenaNet and 343 industry and putting, and from those art tests and putting all of that into practice mm. in production for a project. That's great. Let's. How much art can you show us of uh, from this? Well, I can show. I got to prove because this is already like um, already released. Uh, yeah, the game is already out, and then you know, gone through the approval process. And great. again, you know, we see like the kind of the curvy Army Vo style coming uh, to play. Again. Yeah. Except this time around, is you know very very high fidelity, both in texture resolution as well as geometry. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I, it's like I've been doing this kind of style for a while now, so I can just. You know, execute this at a pretty um, fast pace. I think I mm-hmm. had like something like two or three days to work on this, and yeah. that's about it. Two or three days, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what's your process? If you can just sketch it out, are you Maya ZBrush? What's uh, for this one? I I was pretty lucky to have a concept art. So yeah. at that point, it's less about trying to figure out design. It's just like go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also worked more than enough with the uh, kind of some of the curvy Art Nouveau shapes that. I can just essentially model all of it in Maya wow. at this point. I think I still did a little bit of a sketch up in ZBrush kind of, I think I brought this face, you know, it's modeled on Maya, brought into ZBrush and then kind of just use the Damien standard brush to trace some lines. Like, okay, here's some basic design flows and maybe this could be like where the shapes are. Mm-hmm. So it's a super quick process that probably took only like 30 to 40 minutes. And then I brought that shape into Maya as a guide and essentially just started to uh, uh, political, uh, polygonally model uh, the entire shape out and, you know, definitely using um, the mirror tool as just a super, super quick way to get this done. So that way, I mean, instead of modeling this entire vase, I only have to kind of essentially do half of it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's just focusing on making sure that the design still flowed and it still worked um, once the uh, symmetry is applied. You know, I, I would, I'm, I'm jonesing to like learn more about this process. So hopefully um, I can talk you into kind of uh, another time, like just walking us through a little bit of the, some sort of demonstration on this. But if you could talk briefly, you're in Maya. How are you getting these curves? How are you cutting this? Are you using a slice tool? Are you, you know? Uh, I think, I believe uh, with uh, in Maya 2016 and above, mm-hmm. uh, when you're extruding polygons, yes. uh, instead of moving the polygon along, let's say like the X, Y, and Z axis, uh-huh. uh, you can, there is what's known as component mode selection mm-hmm. and you can essentially move it along the normal. Great. And so what I would do is I would either, I would, you know, like make a plane and then extrude that plane and then move that along the normal. And usually I have good references just because yeah. I don't want to be, you know, like either have the design figure out, so I don't want to be designing and modeling uh, at the same time. And then I'll just kind of extrude it on the normal, move it a little bit, hit the smooth key, kind of rotate it a little bit and see, yeah. okay, this is what the shape's supposed to look like. And then extrude again, and then kind of move it on the normal, kind of rotate it again just to see uh, what the shape looks like. Got it. Got it. All right. So the key component, so basically you're, you know, you're cutting edges as you need, but the big component is extrude along the component along the normal let's just say right okay I and understand that. obviously you know with that you know there's also i'm thinking about flow i'm thinking about planar changes like okay mm-hmm. you know if this line here starts 
at the top? Where does it, you know, flow to the end? And usually, yeah. you know, you start off on one end of the surface and then ends up on another end. And just to be able to kind of view kind of it as a line that kind of in some ways wraps around like a ball or a sphere. Mm-hmm. I think just kind of having that kind of mindset will really, really help you model something like this uh, or to have the, I guess, a, kind of a starting point instead of just trying to figure out how the hell do I even approach this? Yeah, totally. And and even with you having said that, it's still going on in my mind. How the hell did you approach this? So, <laughs> so I think we'll need a little more, but, but let's keep going. Cause I don't, I know we've only got an hour of your time and then we have to jump. So. Sure. Um, so yeah, so this crown is a really good example of mm-hmm. uh, using the uh, Ben modifier and mm-hmm. that can really speed up your process. Uh, if you look at the kind of the high res model of it, I just, essentially modeled this crown out super, super flat. This way I've got, you know, it's just a simple flat plane and I'm just kind of, it's almost like in 2D, I'm drawing out this little curvy shape right there and then putting like a line in the middle and then pushing that up a little bit, adding a little bit of a bevel. And then once, I think I also subdivided it once. And once I have kind of the design perfectly figured out, I'll put a bend modifier Mm -hmm. on top of this entire thing. And this will give me kind of this kind of crown, a uh, circular crown result. Sweet. That's that's brilliant. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And see, I also got to make some really giant structure for this game. Mm-hmm. So I got to make, and for me, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So when I was like, I think in high school, when the film came out, I was like, oh my God, these are so cool. Uh, It'd be awesome one day if I get to work on it. Yeah. That's great. I just actually introduced my four-year-old and my six-year-old. And my four-year-old, he's a boy. Man, he he actually watches nature discovery channels, but it's all predator stuff. So it's like something wants <laughs> to die. It's just we're a little concerned. But uh, I he just loved, you know, all they were just into it. So it's so cool to share that with them. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, see, uh, yeah. So for this image, uh, I was able to make all of the uh, spiky bits mm-hmm. you see here mm-hmm. and. Again, this was an incredibly huge challenge, not because of visual fidelity, uh, because of memory constraints. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is already a giant castle. Yeah. There's a massive city. So at the end, you know, like we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get this entire thing to run without crashing? And then on top of that, it's like, okay, we have everything uh, under memory right now, but, oh no, it's like, we still have to add more spiky bits on top of it. Mm-hmm. And, Think this entire kind of area plus you know uh memory wise with uh lod's texture geometry was like 5.5 megabytes for all the spiky stuff and i think that was all the memory we could afford and so i had to use a lot of smoke to mirrors to get it done in time like for example i'll make kind of this piece right here and then this piece gets instanced along here and here the same thing with these uh, spikes on the towers and then i'll make like one of these spikes or a set of these, and then just kind of kitbash those to kind of really make you know, different rows of spikes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, you know, I also had a pretty short amount of time to do this. I think it's like three or four days because mm-hmm. it's like approaching towards the end of the project and it just gotta be okay, it's gotta get done done. Yeah, great. So you also built the, uh, this is essentially the beginning of the end level. This was the bridge where you had to fight across and eventually fight Sauron. And this was a super, super cool um, asset to work on just because it's like, this is kind of the super, super spiky, like heavy metal stuff that I'm definitely into. And 
yeah, I was uh, super grateful for the opportunity to work on that. And I think this bridge took me about something like three and a half, maybe four weeks to complete. And it was, you know, from doing everything from uh, modeling and uh, texturing and trying to figure everything out. And I think the my lead and the art director was pretty impressed with this piece. Like, hey, do you want to do more stuff with the styles? Like, uh, yeah, of course. And I was able to make this the uh, this is the Tower of Baradur. It's something that you know I really, really just fell in love with when I was a kid. And finally, I was able to make this. And a little bit of spoiler: this is where you fight the final boss. Hmm. Beautiful. How and how much of this is concept? How much is this is just you? Uh, this was a very flushed out concept art piece, mm -hmm. just because you know this is the final boss area, and mm -hmm. Baradur itself is such an iconic structure that uh, Weta has made. So I've got, it's in many ways, this, I didn't have to think too much about the design of this because, you know, Weta already made the miniature in the films and oh, this is an officially great. licensed product. So I can just yeah. look at that tower to get inspiration from. Yeah. And, you know, we, I had a really, really talented concept artist um, who, you know, gave me a really, really flushed out uh, uh, concept art as well as some uh, rough 3D geometry to kind of get the proportions uh, it's a good starting base from so yeah no this was uh yeah this this definitely something that had a lot of planning uh, that went into it awesome and uh yeah i think the just looking back uh after lord of the rings uh some of the things that i've learned is that um luck i really believe is what happens when a right project along comes along and you're just absolutely prepared to do it and for me, I think one of the rewards of uh, doing this tower was that I was offered a full-time position after making it because they were just so impressed with the uh, quality of it. And I was like, yay, get to finally have a full-time job now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and awesome. one thing I've noticed is, another, is that to be able to do this tower is not just, oh, you know, spend like four or five weeks on it, you know, all your time, energy, and you can do it. And it was definitely a culmination of every single thing I've done in the past, you know, from some mm. of the more curvy stuff at 343 Industries, just learning and refining that process to a point where, you know, when it's go time and I have to deliver, I can execute this um, within kind of the production deadline yeah. and also a very, very high quality. Great. Okay. Uh, a yeah, so I think, um, let me get a quick note out. So guys, uh, we're gonna have to wrap up here in just a second. So get your questions out. Um, we'll have just a little bit of a moment there, and uh, and then I've, I'll have one or two questions. But uh, go for it, Phil. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if anybody has any questions, then uh, yeah, just go for it. I'll okay. just ask, and uh, I'll do my best to answer. Okay. Uh, no reviews today, guys, because we got to jump into the next um, to the characters bootcamp, which is happening here in just uh, two minutes, uh, and we'll do um, reviews. In fact, uh, I'm going to try to talk Phil into coming back. We got. Uh, this is, I'd love to get his feedback on your guys' uh, stuff. So, um, Phil, for somebody who's starting out now, like these are most of these people here are in the boot camp, um, okay, or the, or the course. Um, what, what, uh, what's one or two things that you think they can focus on that will make a difference in their career? I, I know we talked about substance, we talked about LODs, but, um, what, what else can they do that just really, helps them 
primarily in the career? Um, I definitely say that look at the industry trend because, you know, if you go on ArtStation, it's like, well, how do I gauge my work to make sure if I'm good enough? If you go on ArtStation, and this is definitely something that can be intimidating and difficult, look at some of your favorite art pieces and some of the stuff that you want to do, whether it's a texture or an asset, mm. and then put your own artwork and do an objective side-by-side -side comparison to see, okay, what are some of the things the, you know, the artist currently working industry is doing, then what are some of the techniques that in my own personal piece that I'm not thinking about and how could I improve? And I think another thing is just really, you know, information is everywhere, you know, especially with, you know, online classes and gum roads being so readily available that if you want to learn something new, there's pretty much almost like a resources anywhere for it. And within a you know, relatively affordable too. Within a short amount of time, you can just kind of essentially, okay, here's the knowledge and I'll just practice, 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 and essentially become good at, enough to uh, get a job in the industry. Oh, yeah, I'm not multitask. All right, got it. Okay, um, real quick, I'm going to pass this over to Susan. She's going to answer, she's going to ask Isaac's question and then a couple of the other guys' question, and then I will be right back. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we can go from there. Okay. Hi guys. Hi. Um, okay, so we have a question from Isaac. It says, um, what are the best ways to develop design sensibility to create better assets? Um, for That's a bit of a trick question, but I mean, I think for me, I was fortunate enough to have kind of a concept art and design background. Uh, I would say uh, definitely understanding the basic art principles, which is you know, your parallel lines, flows, rule of thirds, your distribution of detail. And then other thing is just uh, looking at references and kind of looking at the uh, you know interesting art styles and shapes. I think design is one of those things where um, it's, it can be difficult to learn if you don't have a professional artist who kind of really understands design who can you know like if you make a design they can just point out okay abc is not working but yeah usually i, I would say just uh you know find a style or an art that you really like if it's possible get good feedback and then just practice 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 okay i'm back guys did we get isaac's question answered Yes. Okay, good. All right. So, um, Edison, I, uh, Phil doesn't have access to Artists Awake, so I can't just uh, send that off to him. Um, and let me see. Any more questions, guys? Uh, Jan, you got that question for me? Yeah, I can. Uh, email that to me, though, because I'm going to have to run, so I'm, I'm going to forget the, students, uh, the studio's name. Um, Edison is asking, is there a mood board, sort of, so that artists can base the look and materials out of it? Um, how do they, how do you get the look of these things? Yeah, I think that it depends on, uh, you know, if it's a texture, then definitely I would encourage, you don't have to make a move where you can just find a bunch of images that you like and just put in a photo somewhere and just to kind of reference back to when you're making your own texture. Mm -hmm. Or if it's something, let's say a sci-fi um, asset, I would definitely recommend finding something that already exists yeah. and kind of breaking it down as you're modeling it. And when you're modeling the asset, Rather than being a slave to the concept art, like it's a blueprint, start looking at the 3D model. And it's almost like rather than one-to-one -one translation, this is 
you're trying to make something that's more in the essence of what that concept art is, but it will still work in 3D. And you know what, at least personal opinion was, I think what design works in 3D is you're looking at, you know, the distribution of detail. Okay, where is your areas of detail? Where is your areas of rest? Uh, how distinct is the silhouette? And then the other half of it is okay, looking at you know memories and performance. Okay, what's the polycon limit? What's the texture resolution? And uh, yeah, does that does that answer the question? I think so. Yeah. All right, Phil. Thank you so much for this presentation and for walking us through and kind of opening up um, your process and your journey. I think uh, it's been sure. very inspirational for me. So thank you so much. And guys, um, we're going to put this up at uh, Artist Awake in just a little bit and make sure you let uh, Phil know there what was useful to you. And Phil, how do people find you? Uh, they can find me. Uh, I guess they can just email me or they can find my uh, art station. All right. I'm, it's look, we're looking at my screen, so I will. L-I. There we go. And there's your art station. Uh, Eclipse, right? Yep. All right, guys, here's where you're going to find him. And uh, contact information is going to be on the about. Phil, again, man, I can't thank you enough. This is, and God, I mean, you know, I'd, I could look at this yeah. forever. This is, it's just so cool. And it's neat to see how that's like the ornamentation and everything went. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's even your first piece on your art station four years ago. <laughs> oh, man, time flies. Oh, my God, doesn't it? All right, take care of yourself, man. Thank you. Yeah, you too. And uh, have a fantastic uh, weekend, everybody. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.